This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 32. This is Writing Excuses. How do I control the speed of my story? 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. And I'm Dan. And we're talking about pacing again. We're going to talk about the actual pacing part of pacing. (laughs) How do we control the speed of our story? Mary, you actually pitched this podcast. Yeah, so one of the things that, you know, again, with my theater background, one of the things that I became aware of uh, when I was looking at, at pacing was that there are two different ways, there's a number of different ways to control pacing. Some of Mm -hmm. the things we've already talked about, but one of them is this really mechanical thing, which is where you put your chapter and scene breaks and what kind of chapter and scene breaks you use. And this is something that you can use with the reader to control their perception of how things are going in the story. In theater, there is through scenes, which is uh, where you, you finish a scene and then it does not go to black. People change the scenery as part of the action and then you immediately start the next scene, which is the the theater equivalent of um, a, a transition where you say, and they, they walked through the Thousand League yeah. blog. <laughs> um, and then you have scene breaks where you actually go to black and then come back. These have two different effects on the reader. One is that sometimes you want the reader to stay tense and stay Uh moving forward. And sometimes you actually want to give them a moment to have a reaction. Mm -hmm. And that, that space and giving them that space, that scene break, the chapter break, will allow them to have the reaction, which can sometimes actually ratchet up the tension more, and sometimes it will prepare them for what comes next. Yeah, I I will mention on this, though, a scene break or chapter break, um, where you place it has a big influence on this. For instance, if you stop at a cliffhanger, then that actually ramps up tension. Mm -hmm. If you stop after something has been explained or described that can be a tension reliever. That's a, okay, now I react. Um, and that's just a matter of moving a, a chapter break by a page sometimes. Yeah. And, and a when, sentence often. Yeah, often so. Uh, and when you do the, uh, the cliffhangers, you need to make sure that what they come back to merits the amount of tension you've created. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I often say with cliffhangers, by the way, I really prefer the cliffhangers where you open the door and you see something cool and then you have to jump to the next page to see, you know, because it's so mind-bogglingly awesome, as opposed to the, and I've said this before, they got to the door, opened it, and cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, I think it, when you do that one, you're setting yourself up to, the, that surprise has to be even better than it was going to be. If they open the door and, and his father was outside, then you, you're like, oh, it's going to go down now. Where the previous way, they open the door and, next page, his father's outside. You're like, oh, that's it? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've found as a pacing tool, uh, and you know, we've talked about chapter and scene breaks, which is a, uh, you know, if you, if you stand ten feet away from the book, you can see that that has a shape mm-hmm. in, in the book. Uh, the length of paragraphs, the length of lines, mm-hmm. also has a very important effect. Uh, I, I am a big fan of letting there be white space when there needs to be white space. Okay, so what is, what is the exact effect of those? What does it do <laughs> when the reader turns the page and sees a bunch of white space, meaning usually lots of dialogue or quick action beats? 
Yeah, so um, this gets back into something I talked about on my very first time with you guys, which is uh, the the with puppetry, there's this idea of um, rhythm and breath mm-hmm. creating the emotional sense. And, and I think that what's happening with these short sentences with the lots of white space is that what we're indicating to readers, um, we're, we're mimicking a breathing pattern that happens when someone is excited. Mm. Uh, when you take faster breaths, um, you don't look at things for as long. Like the exercise we had people doing with the magnified moment uh, last uh, in, in the previous uh, episode, the that that is taking time and really expanding, and that's that's slowing things down and putting a lot more weight on them. Whereas when you go very quickly, you you have the sense uh, it, it creates a sense of urgency. Right well, now, there is something about... counterintuitive here that I mm-hmm. want to bring out to people, and that is the exposition versus dialogue or yes. quick action beats. Um, Exposition can often be faster, depending on how you write it. Once mm-hmm. again, this goes back to what we talked about uh, in a previous podcast where we said, you can make a thousand years pass by saying, and a thousand years pass. That's exposition. And they went to the store, and there was nobody there, so they came home and fixed sandwiches. Exposition, one sentence, a whole bunch of time has passed, but it feels slower than dialogue or quick action beats taking up three or four pages instead of a paragraph because the reader gets more invested in that. Yeah. Yeah. And it really is the, um, that, that thing that we've also been talking about how you can control the reader's perception mm-hmm. by, by how deeply invested they are in something. If they are, if they are living the moment with the character, mm-hmm. it is actually their perception of it is going to feel more real time. Yeah. yeah. When I'm, <clears throat> when I'm using, uh, when I'm using lots of white space and it's not for dialogue, uh, you know, if I were to use it for something like the magnified moment, what I would be doing is calling out important pieces mm-hmm. of that moment and accenting them by surrounding them with white space so that, yes, you take a breath, you read this, you take another breath, you are processing this thing mm-hmm. as if it is as important as the whole paragraph that came before it. And so regardless of the flow of time, right. I'm controlling, it's the brain hack, I'm controlling the way the information is entering your brain. Yeah, yeah, and I need to yeah. break this down for a minute because I don't think readers are going to exactly, or listeners are going to exactly understand what you just said. Because a magnified moment is generally going to be big blocks of text. Mm-hmm. Magnified moment is lots of description. Description equals big blocks of text. What Howard is saying is you need to interrupt those big blocks of text with small lines set up on themselves and mm-hmm. small observations in order to create a rhythm in this scene that is not simply blocks of text. Yeah. So, for example, this does not merit a full writing exercise, but take a paragraph that you have written recently and then put a hard return after every single sentence, mm. just so you can see how that changes the feel of it. Yeah. When and that's every what I was getting at with the magnified own. moment. You take the magnified moment you've written, and you reshape it with line feeds right. and the emotion. I'm going to jump in and... and Sorry. And, no, no, no. It's because, because now we are exactly in my bailiwick. <laughs> um, because this is the audiobook narrator hat coming out. So there is a very specific mechanical thing that punctuation does and, and sentence breaks, uh, sentence length and paragraphs. And that is that we are, we are mimicking the way people speak. And one of the things that happens with the natural pauses that we take in our conversation is that we pause before something that we need to emphasize. Mm-hmm. So there's this mechanical thing, and you can try it with your own work. Uh, there's a very mechanical thing that we do when we're training audiobook narrators. 
when you see a comma and you're reading out loud, you pause and count to one. When you see a period, you pause and count to two. Paragraph break is a three pause, three count pause. And this is incredibly mechanical and not, and it's not something that you do past an experimental training phase. But when you do that, you see exactly the effect that this has on the reader when they are taking those words that are written on the page. They will put those pauses in. So when you're breaking something out, you want to make sure that it is something that you really want to emphasize. And you also want to be aware that if you do it too much, then you wind up with the text version of Mm. William Shatner, where there's a pause to emphasize. Yeah, I've read some um, thriller writers mm-hmm. that drive me up the wall because every other paragraph is a one-line paragraph. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's the same effect I get from actually a lot of graphic novel writers where they feel like they have to bold like two words per sentence. Mm-hmm. And so when I read that in my head, suddenly it's got this really weird cadence to it. These are tools that can be very helpful to you, but overusing them, Probably not a good idea. Yeah, the uh, Maximum Ride books by James Patterson, which are, you know, grotesquely successful. Um, they're the most breathlessly written things I've ever seen because most of the paragraphs are only one or two sentences long. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, yes, they're adding pauses, but what they're also adding is so much intensity, yeah, so much solemnity over every single thing that it just, yeah, I think what yeah. we're establishing. I think what we're establishing here is this is a critical tool, and if you use it wrong, <laughs> you break things. Mm-hmm. We're going to stop for our book of the week. So, Mary, our book of the week this week is Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson, uh, which I narrated with Will Dameron, uh, and this is one of the most interesting case studies for pacing I have ever run across because there's there's two things I want you to get this book. Um, and I want you to get this book in audio and I want you to get a print copy of it. And I know that that's a lot to ask, but do it. Because he writes insanely long sentences that are completely understandable because the man knows what punctuation is for. Um, and he can write paragraphs that are more than a page long. And again, the man understands when and why to insert a paragraph break. But what he's also doing with this, so it's the story of, um, you know, it, it opens with the moon exploding. And then the as pieces, it does, as it does. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then the pieces of the earth, uh, the pieces of the moon are going to fall to the earth and bombard it. And, you know, everyone's going to die unless they can do these heroic measures. So the first part of the book takes place over the course of about 20 years. And there are sections where we are in the moment and living it beat by beat by beat. And then there are sections that we just skip over through exposition. And his choices on when to do that are really, he's a really good writer, just in case you didn't know that. Um, but Wait, it's, Neil Stevenson? I know. <laughs> he's this thought? guy. Um, uh, and it is absolutely, it's it's a great book. I loved narrating it. I actually only narrated the first two thirds and finished reading it because I just wanted to know what happened. Um, 
So I highly recommend it just as something to enjoy, but as something to study specifically mm-hmm. for pacing and sentence. If you're going to buy something in audio and print, and the reason I'm saying both is because listening to how these things flow is a hu- it was it, it was incredibly educational for me. Excellent. And they uh, so can get that. They can get that at audiblepodcast.com ex- uh, slash excuse for a with a three uh, <laughs> three with a thirty day free trial membership. I'm in the middle of book tour right now and <laughs> a little little fuzzy. <laughs> so um, Dan mentioned something that I want to jump back to, and pacing actually for me. Um, is tied directly to the length of the story I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, there are books where I'm like, you know what? I don't mind if they read this in one or two sittings. And so I am going to use, I'm going to pace this faster. I'm going to use shorter chapters, which tends to pace faster. I'm going to have fewer of these breaks where it's like, all right, we just accomplished something. Let's take a breather. Um, just to pull the reader all the way through. There are other books that are 400,000 words long that I'm like, you're going to take a week to read this book. So I'm going to build into it natural breaks. Yeah. I I talk about it with my students about the importance of thinking about the proportions. Like if you have, um, you know, if you're writing a a chihuahua killer, um, if you have a first scene that's, (laughs) for those of you not able to watch the video feed, the look Brandon is giving me right now. (laughs) I like chihuahuas. I just wrote a chihuahua killer. I was very happy about it. Why not a spider killer? I suppose any of them can be spider killers. Any of them can be spider killers. (laughs) Point being, and it's a proportion question, Mm -hmm. um, if you write, if you have something and the first scene is 5,000 words long and it is is in a a giant book, no problem. If your second scene is 100 words long and that is the end of your short story, people are going to be very frustrated because you've set up an expectation by that Mm -hmm. scene length. So one of the things that, that you do is you, you look at the, the overall proportion. And I can't give you like a golden mean ratio to use, no. but it's, it gets back again to these promises that we're making to the readers. Right. And your genre. And your mm-hmm. genre. Exactly. Yeah. What, once we start looking at different lengths of work, um, we spent so much of the first half talking about sentence level and paragraph level stuff. I only just now in the manuscript I'm currently writing on have gotten a real appreciation for the concept of scene sequel format Mm. and how that can affect the pacing at a chapter or whole Mm -hmm. section level. Um, And that's something that Howard has talked a lot about before. One of the techniques that I've, and I say technique, this is one of those checklist things where I I look at it to see if I've done something wrong, if there's there's an easy fix in here. Um, Scenes will ask questions and answer questions. And if I want somebody to be able to pause at the end of a scene, it needs to have answered all of the questions that it asked. If, I mean, there can still be big plot questions outlying, Mm -hmm. but this scene contained itself and left us in a place where we could, we could stop. If the scene asks a question that is left unanswered and then we stop, I got to turn the page. Yeah. This is what I do with, uh, with the mice quotient, Mm -hmm. um, that I, I do something I call braiding and, and nesting. So, so the mice quotient, um, you know, is we, we usually talk about it in terms of looking at the overall structure of a thing, but you can also use it for individual scenes and individual goals that a character has. And one of the things that I found very effective 
um, for for moving a character, for creating the sense of a cliffhanger without actually writing a cliffhanger, is that I will, you know, I'll start a, a scene. Um, like, I'll, I'll, let me use a, a, an example from one of my books, just because it's in my head. Um, I start a scene that is. Um, it's essentially a milieu scene. They're trapped in a room and they need to get out of the room. And we get them out of the room and and I could have, I have a choice on where I put the that, that scene break. I can put the scene break before they get out of the room, leaving that question unanswered, which will bring them forward in one way. I can put it right after they get out of the room, which gives the reader a resting place. Or I can put it after I introduce the next question. So they get out of the room and there's a Roman centurion waiting for them. I'm wrong. This is not out of one of my books. I'm making it up from whole cloth now. <laughs> there's a Roman centurion waiting for them. And if I stop right after the centurion comes in, that raises a question. And that's what right. a cliffhanger looks mm-hmm. like. So, so basically by just moving where that, that thing is in relation to that very specific question, that, that arc, I can control the reader's perception of, of the speed of the story. It will feel, even though it's exactly the same number of words, it will feel like a faster read if, the, if that break comes after the next right. question. You know, someone who's very good at this, and I like to bring up in Pacing Conversations, is Terry Pratchett. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend the book Night Watch to you if you want to read one that has an interesting use of pacing. Um, and I've often used Pratchett as an example of someone... He does some bizarre things. Number one, there are no chapters in his mm-hmm. books, just to see a whole bunch of scenes, one big chapter for the entire novel. And there are often no pauses. It is all breakneck. But he balances that with humor, which allows you to laugh and gives you the pause. And I find his writing far more effective than most humorous because he adds this sort of breakneck pacing to his book that pulls you through to the end. A lot of humor writers, I have this trouble where I... I'm laughing while I'm reading it, but when I put it down, I don't ever want to pick it back up. Um, I remember, oh, that was funny, but I I just don't feel that urgency. He manages to make urgency happen, and he does it just in the way that you just explained, Mary. He never lets you say, oh, I have the answer now. You always have another question, and then he fulfills on those questions quite well. We are actually out of time, um, and so we're going to let Mary give us some homework Uh, regarding scene breaks. Right. So what I'd like you to do is uh, take something that you've written uh, already, and we're just going to play with converting it from a through scene, uh, or converting it either from a through scene to a scene break or the other way around, depending on what it is. But just grab an entire chapter that, that has scenes in it and take all the, any, any place that you have a scene break, take it out and replace it with with exposition to bridge. So instead of... A transitional sentence of some sort. Yeah, a transitional sentence. And see what that does to your pacing. And likewise, look at what happens if you... When you when you put those scene breaks back in, look what happens if you move where that scene break is just by a line or two. Excellent. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. 
They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 